so some clarity yesterday uh, with regard to, you know, what might be planned for William Nylander, what, you know, is preferred. Uh, we know Sheldon Keefe will be back. We know, and we always knew, that Austin Matthews is priority one. But we also learned that Brad Living will get to participate at the NHL draft only after the Calgary Flames make their selection at number 16. He will be allowed to be on the draft table or at the draft table with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the team that he is uh, forerunning, the team that is his. He will get to actually be present once and only once. The Calgary Flames get that pick done again at number 16. Uh, interesting stuff there. We're going to get a pro wrestling entrance like, my God, that's Trey Living's music. And he just comes charging, charging in. Is that what's going to happen here? I need like, look, TV product tonight. All right. I would like this played up. I would very, very much like to see Trey Living walked onto the floor in some type of spectacle. Will not happen. But happy is able to be at the table for the Leafs. So Trey Living will be at the table and our next guest will be at the desk. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers. And of course, sports and analyst. Good morning, Booksy. Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, we are doing pretty good. How's Nashville this morning? I know we got you up early. Uh, is the sun rising there? Is the is Broadway clear? Uh, what's the vibe in Nashville? Well, it's funny you mention that because, of course, I opened up the drapes here in the uh, in the room, and I, I still see some people kind of, uh, I don't know if they're doing a slow crawl back to their hotel at <laughs> 6 o'clock in the morning, but if this town never sleeps. It's on fire. It's unbelievable. Tell Ailish to get to bed. That's not very responsible for her to be. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so, so Jason, uh, you know, obviously we want to look ahead to tonight, but got to look back at some of what we saw yesterday. Obviously, biggest piece of news, the, the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. Uh, what do you make of it? I mean, we'll start with Winnipeg and the return they got there. You know, obviously, when you look at what Pierre-Luc Dubois is a player and what he is as an asset, those are separate things given, you know, his desire to move on from Winnipeg. How do you think the Jets did, given the circumstances uh, they were in in the return uh, for Dubois? You know, I think they did uh, pretty much as well as they could do, given the circumstances. I mean, it's never easy, guys. You're you're dealing from a position of weakness. Um, You're also trying to project out um, some players that would like to be a Winnipeg Jet long term. Um, So I think they've done well that way. You know, Velarde... Provided he stays uh, healthy, he's had some back issues in the past. But uh, when when healthy, he's proven that he can score at the NHL level. So that's an attractive asset to add to the group. Uh, he was a big body, six three, I think around two fifteen, somewhere around there. But you know, not he's not a physical big body; he's just a big body. He's long, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Kupari. I think Kupari's a, a, a serviceable um, prospect still. I think that he's he's got some upside there. He's more of a three um, than a two. Like he's not going to ever be a top six guy, but I think he can play some responsible minutes in the middle of the lineup. And then, of course, I follow. That's uh, that's kind of a, a veteran ad in, in in the mix there as well. So I, you know, all things considered, uh, pretty close to as well as they could have done given the circumstances. So in a move likely somewhat uh, connected to Pierre-Luc Dubois ending up in Los Angeles, uh, the Montreal Canadiens trade two draft picks to get Alex Newhook from the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, When you do your analysis on picks number 31 and 37 
and uh, you evaluate Alex Newhook, who went inside, just inside the lottery a couple years ago. How do you evaluate uh, that trade, how Colorado did, how Montreal did, what Montreal is getting in Newhook, and what Colorado can do with a pair of pretty valuable picks in what is believed to be a deep draft? Yeah, that one there kind of underwhelms me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna discount it. Like it. Um, so every draft cycle is a little bit different. Well, a lot different. Um, and you know, Newhook gets selected in a certain slot, and then then you start slotting out players in this draft. Um, you know, players in this draft that are gonna go. You know, 31 to 37. You know, if you look back even last year, those are more like 20 to 26 types of guys coming off last year's list, if you will. So, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit um, underwhelmed by this one. I, I think, for me personally, that 31 and 37, given the cycle the Habs are in, would have maybe planed out to be more valuable than Newhook, in my estimation. Um, but Kent Hughes has uh, intimate knowledge of Newhook. He was uh, you know, he's a client of uh, Kent's uh, previous uh, uh, agency, if you will. And I don't know. I, I understand it. They're, they're rolling it out kind of like the Kirby Doc acquisition last year. But that one underwhelms me. I would have stuck on 31 and 37 personally. Yeah, I, the way I looked at it is it's almost there. And I, I realize it's kind of a cheaper version on both fronts. But it's almost their Brandon Hagel trade, except they're not two-time uh, cup champs who are trying to do it for a third time. That's the way I, I, I kind of look at it. And yeah, it does feel like Montreal just kind of rushing things a little. Obviously, if you like the player, you're, you're happy to get him. But I'm with you. I, I would have stuck with the, with the assets there. Uh, you know, obviously with us, we've been so focused on the Leafs. I think for, for a lot of people in this market specifically uh, – uh, just with how set the top of the draft has been, you know, I, th- I think people have been a little hesitant to really dive in there. Is it as simple as saying tonight that the draft uh, starts at five, or do we maybe get a surprise at four? I have to be honest. Like, in the last couple of days, so for me personally, I've always believed the draft is going to start at two. And it's not so much that uh, the, the names are going to be um, different. They're just going to be slotted differently. Um, so that was kind of how I felt about it. But I'm hearing yesterday, and we were out for dinner last night with Elliot and, you know, the guys, and, you know, I'm hearing a lot of different uh, names coming up at two. Um, So I'm thinking I'm not going to be surprised to see Will Smith uh, taken um, before San Jose's pick, and that kind of throws the order out a little bit in terms of where Carlson goes. I still believe Fantilli is going to be at two, but getting down to five, it's going to be fascinating because if Will Smith is gone and for some reason – uh, Leonard was was not available. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Montreal does if they're in trade back uh, mode at that at that stage. Um, at this point, I still I still believe in my heart of heart it goes Fantilli Carlson, um, and then you know Smith Leonard and Arizona's the wild card. They've got six and twelve, and do they want to uh, do they want to roll something aggressive out there? If I'm them, I do. Um, and the reason being that their timeline for all these prospects that are going to be starting to drop into their system, there's only 50 contracts. You got yeah. to start to manage this timeline uh, a little bit differently. So, you know, draft the best player available. And if it is Mitchkoff, manage it as, uh, as time goes on. 
Well, tell us a little bit about Will Smith, uh, Jason, because we don't know much about him. Uh, it might be the name that sort of, uh, you know, maybe doesn't draw everyone's eye. Uh, but also he's been surging a little bit in draft boards when we've been talking about Bedard and Fantelli and Carlson uh, for some time here. What is it about Smith that could have him leapfrog one of those three and maybe be enticing enough to the Anaheim Ducks to have him be the second overall pick tonight? Well, Will Smith's a motion player, guys. So similar to uh, to a Mitch Marner, he doesn't really get in on the, the play physically, but he's always in motion. He's always around it. Uh, Will Smith is very similar to that uh, type of style. He's an elite offensive brain, but he's got tons of cheat in his game. So he's one of those guys that's jumping to open space, hoping there's a chip off the wall. He can transport it between the blue lines. When he gets into one-on-one situations, even one-on-two sometimes, I mean, he's just gifted. He's, he's, he's able to beat people off the rush on his own. Um, good vision. I think that, he, that he's, he just needs to clean up. All I need for this guy to be is average defensively. He's super elite offensively, like super elite. And when he gets a sniff in the offensive zone, pucks are going to the net either in a playmaking way or an aggressive shot on goal. And the fact that he can dance uh, in the offensive zone is obviously – it's fun to watch him play. I can't discount it. There's just some warts, uh, you know, in the detail that he's going to have to clean up before he gets to the NHL. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, not that anybody, uh, you know, in this market is picking up there, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people are hearing that going, Ugh, I've seen how that plays uh, in the games that matter. Maybe not the guy, uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you on the, the high-end skill there, and it's it's also easy to get kind of sucked in by by that. Uh, you know, obviously these things are cyclical. We've had years where it's gone the exact opposite way. Uh, a little bit odd that there's the lack of defensemen that, that there are at the top end of this draft, or is that just kind of one of the weird, you know, things we see – you know, cycle in year in, year in and year out with the draft. I mean, we've had years where it's been a run of defensemen up top, and obviously this year just just not the case. Do you think any teams will get caught? Obviously, you know, we know with NHL prospects, they take a while. You don't really want to be drafting for need, but do you think with the, there will be some teams who are kind of reaching for defensemen tonight? I don't think so. I think that it's going to be best player available right through the first round. Um, having said that, I do understand the question because especially the top three guys in the first round, they're all right shot D. Um, and that that matters to a lot of teams. As we all know, um, those guys are they're, they're, they're unicorns, right? On the trade market later on, everybody seems to overpay for these types of players. Um, but I still see Reinbacher, uh, Sandy, and Pelica, and, and Will Lander going as the top three guys. Um, after that, there's an interesting name. Like um, later on in the first round, uh, you know, the, the other player, well, first of all, I, we can't discount how good the Swedes are in the first round. This is a huge year for the Swedes. They could have as many as uh, six guys go in the first round. So that's, that's an anomaly. Uh, but there is a guy later on, Theo Lindstein. Um, from Sweden as well, a defenseman. And, and he might end up, you know, down the road as it planes out, bringing as much value as the Willander type of kid uh, when he arrives at the NHL level. And, and he's going to be a guy that goes in the 20s. So that's going to be an interesting strategy pick for somebody when he drops into uh, that range. So the Maple Leafs will draft in the late 20s, or at least are scheduled to, Jason. Um, you know, you mentioned that there might be, you know, what type of player might be available there. You were talking about how, you know, picks 31 and 37 might be more like mid-20s uh, on a different year. 
Uh, but there's also a change in philosophy or a perceived change in philosophy with a change in general manager here. We know Tre Living will be there to make the pick. Uh, once Calgary makes theirs at 16, he'll be, uh, you know, uh, eligible, I guess, to sit at a table. Uh, what do you what what do we know about what the Leafs may do? Because we know Wes Clark's still running the show here. But do you think there'll be a change from a philosophy change or a philosophical change here for the Leafs? And is there a best case scenario at number 28 uh, for this team when looking at the, the the depths of the first round draft board? Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm and I, I totally get the question. So my belief is that Wes and I've worked. You know, Wes was on my staff in Florida before he came to Toronto, and I, I you know, he really values um, let's just say undersized uh, skill guys who are excellent skaters who like to handle the puck and make plays. That's his, that's his MO. So a guy like Nick Lardis who played in Hamilton, um, you know, that's the type of target that I think that West would value. Having said that, you know, for me personally, um, with, with tree coming in, there's some other big body guys that are really good players. Like Dmitry Simashev is a, is a Russian defenseman. He's like six, four and a half. Um, think Jay Bolmeister back in the day in terms of his skating ability, like he's an elite skater. And uh, the Leafs don't have that, guys. They don't have that in their pipeline. You know, they they got the the smaller guys in their pipeline, the Hollowells and Nemo's, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a guy that I would think that they would have serious discussion about. Understated offense, um, spatial awareness is excellent, and he can kill plays with his length, kind of like a Gabrikov, okay? And, of course, there was, there was talks around the deadline. You know how valuable Gabrikov was at the deadline. So, you know, when I start to think that out, I think that's a great fit. Kalen Ritchie might be there from the Oshawa Generals, power forward type score. So it's going to be fascinating to see which way it goes, and it's going to be telling because the stamp will be, you know, Today, it's going to say something about where the Toronto Maple Leafs are going philosophically in their drafting and their organizational depth preparation. Um, it's also too bad. I have to double down on this that they just don't have a lot of draft capital. I mean, they got the first-round pick. I get it. But you're going to sit there till round five. So do they entertain trading back and trying to pick up a couple of picks? Time will tell. Yeah, so that that kind of uh, I think you just answered it, but I'll ask you I'll ask you anyways here, Jason. Is you know they've talked about putting that that piece in play. You know I understand there was maybe an offer made to Philly for for Scott Lawton for that or or you know involving that pick. Uh, what do you make of a team that obviously they're going to have to get players in here? No, I completely understand the the problems with the pipeline and the lack of of talent coming beyond what's at the NHL lo- roster right now. Uh, but they're going to have to find roster players as well uh do you think it's just a non-starter for the Leafs to move that pick given given what they have and I'm not talking about moving it to move back and collect other picks I mean moving it for someone who can help them next year do you think that's just a non-starter or do you think it's still something they they should consider no I think you have to consider it I mean they're still in win now mode like you know so it's uh <laughs> they're in a quandary. I, I, you know, they're, it's it's perplexing. I come from the amateur side, so clearly I want to have picks, right? Like I want to fill out the organization, but at the same time, I want to I want to win at playoffs. And if you can add a guy like a Scott Lawton, who's, you know, he's a 29 year old glue guy with leadership ability. He's he plays hard between the whistles. Uh, you know, he's got better than secondary scoring upside, and he's making three million dollars, which is, you know, relatively affordable for a guy that can be you know, a 50-point-plus guy. Like, 
if, if you're going to trade out or if you're going to make an acquisition like that, I much prefer having, like I've heard that they're, they're circling back on Kerfoot and camp a little bit. I would add Lawton in a heartbeat before I brought Kerfoot back. Let me put it to you that way. thousand percent. Uh, scanning draft boards or mock drafts, uh, rather, Jason, uh, not seeing many goaltenders. Um, who's the best goaltender in this draft? When are we going to see a goaltender come off the board? And what do you think of the philosophy of just like adding a goaltender every year? Because some this is not an exact science, let's be honest. And if you just put one into the system every single time, maybe you yield yourself some pretty good results. Yeah, it's fascinating. I've been on both sides of the ledger. You know, we drafted Spencer Knight early in Florida at the Vancouver draft. So for this draft cycle here, Michael Harable, who plays uh, in Omaha in the United States Hockey League, um, you know, he's a giant, six foot seven goaltender. Think Ben Bishop when when I'm describing him. Uh, the other guy that I have high on the list is Trey Augustine from the U.S. National Team Development Program. He's going to go to Michigan State. If St. Louis doesn't move picks 25 and 29, they've got those two first and the late round or two late first round picks. They're trying to move those picks. They, they want to move up. So, like, it, but if nothing comes to them, I wouldn't be surprised to see possibly Harable go at 29. That wouldn't surprise me. If it goes to day two on the goalie side of the ledger, traditionally, as soon as one goalie goes, there's a run of goalies. So you'll see. Uh, Bjarnason, uh, Augustine, and Harable go early in day two. Your point about drafting goaltenders, like taking a run at a guy uh, every year somewhere in the draft, it's a fascinating strategy. Two reasons. A, the, if they come from the CHL, uh, uh, you know, U.S. college route or uh, Europe, so their timelines are different upon arrival. And then the other thing you have to factor in is my experience is most goalies don't hit until their second contract. So if you're investing development time in a goaltender, you better be sitting on them for two cycles of, of uh, contracts. So you're looking at four or five years before they arrive. It's a long, long journey. So if you stock the cupboards, I guess you're going to hopefully hit on a guy here or there. Where are you at philosophically? And obviously this isn't a problem for this year's draft, but we saw going back to 2020, you know, Askarov was there. You know, he was looked at as possibly, you know, a fringe top five pick. We know he ended up going 11 to the Preds. And you, you mentioned your experience taking night. Where are you at philosophically on drafting a goalie high? I mean, for, for me, and I'm not even saying I'm right, just I look at it, the position feels like such a crapshoot outside of, one, you know, a handful of guys on any given year. Uh, I don't love the idea of it, but, you know, when it hits, obviously it proves to be a boon where are you at philosophically on the idea of taking a goalie high again obviously not in the cards this year yeah we've done it i've done it uh i'm not going to sit here and and lie to you and say that i love the strategy because i would be just flat out lying to you so (laughs) it, it if you get to the point in your list in the first round that you're um best player available and it is a goaltender uh, your general manager at that stage is probably going to look at you, and if he's really in that goalie market and he's a believer in the product that uh, he's seen as well, he's going to tell you to make the call. So um, do I love the strategy? I don't. And, you know, there's some outliers out there. I came from Nashville before uh, I, I went to Florida. We drafted Pekka Rene in the eighth round, guys. And, you know, so that, that speaks for his Dustin Wolf is almost the last pick in the draft in Calgary. He should make the yeah. Flames this year. So... Um, I don't love it, but uh, it, it happens. And uh, if it's the best player available, then then make the pick. 
So you're hearing a lot of Will Smith talk. Uh, you're hanging around insiders and people that know what's going on, people that are connected. Tons of chatter, clearly. We've got names going uh, to different teams. We've got trades. We've got salary retention. we got it all happening right now, Jason. Uh, but if you had to make a prediction in terms of, like, what may happen tonight, what may happen, what may go down on the draft floor, is there a big swing? Do you expect some fireworks? Is there a name that you might want to throw out there in terms of a guy that might get dealt and might send shockwaves through this league? Oh boy, it's that's that's a loaded question. Um, the only reason I say that is because I the free agency class is so soft, guys. Like it really is, and so I, you know, I don't have a name that I want to pull out of my hat right now because that's Elliot's job. Um, I'm more interested on the on the draft cycle side. I'm watching Columbus very closely here. I think Columbus might do something that. Uh, Yarmouk Ekelein is unpredictable at the best of times. Uh, so the only the only name that I would connect to this whole thing, and I know they don't want to do it, but I'm not going to discount it, is Lindholm out of Calgary uh, with Columbus being involved in some sort of uh, mm. uh, a conversation there, just with the Gaudreau history. just with And Columbus, I believe, is in win-now mode. So if I had to pull one out of the sky, I'd say keep a close eye on Lindholm to Columbus um, tonight, and, and we'll see if that happens or not. Interesting. Uh, you know, Columbus and definitely in that desperation. But it was funny. We were talking to America. You don't hire. You don't hire that guy to lose. At no, least no. Not a second time. It seems like Heckelein and like, yeah, it has to happen uh, now. And you bring in Babcock uh, now to do it. I, I, I suppose. Uh, but we were talking to America a couple weeks ago. He's like, you know, whatever Anaheim does, that makes the decision for Columbus. And I just cannot. I, I just can't wrap my head around that because Heckelein always goes off the board. And of course, he's sitting there at number three with a will and a desire to really improve this team uh this year um last one for you jason you know eric carlson's name's out there uh being shopped he just won the norris trophy on monday night uh there's always that squabble in terms of retainment um but just in general and not talking about you know where he might end up or whatever his value right now should teams go after eric carlson should teams that want to win a stanley cup make a play for this guy or is there more to consider just like there was when looking at the norris trophy voting Buyer beware is still my vote. Um, I know he's coming off of a, like a ridiculous season. We all get it. Um, but I'm still buyer beware on it. I'm also factoring in, you know, the term on the deal is long, guys. And was it lightning in a bottle last year? you got to get a third team involved in the transaction. Is that team going to want to take on a cap hit beyond three years, depending on the cycle they're in? There's so many moving parts with that deal that I – if it was me, I would be shopping elsewhere and uh, waiting for free agency to hit and maybe going down a Dmitry Orlov type of a uh, scenario. I know you're, it's a different type of player, but uh, at least you control the term. You control the, uh, uh, the amount of dollars in, dollars out that way. Well, it may not be all that great to be Eric Carl. I mean, listen, just want to Norris Trophy. Awesome. But he he wants to move on, uh, but it is definitely a good summer to be Dmitry Orlov, who might be the best free agent out there and is going to secure a bag come July 1. Uh, Jason, this was fun. Have a fantastic broadcast tonight. We'll be watching. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your time in Nashville. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I'll uh, I'll look for Eilish this morning when uh, when we're going for coffee. Yeah. Track her down. Yeah, Track okay. her down. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Uh, All that's right. Jason Have a great Bukla. day. Thanks for having me on. See ya. You too. That's Jason Bukla, uh, former director of scouting for the Florida Panthers, and of course one of our Sportsnet analysts and our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, good stuff from Books there. I think I, I do. You know, like the real hockey nerds have been drilled down to the top three and four, and the machinations moving on there. But I just think there's been so much NHL news that whatever your team is, and let's be honest here, everyone listening, we're for the most part ninety percent Leaf fans here. It's like there's been a lot of scuttlebutt surrounding that. Uh, so yeah, I think a perfect kind of reset there, and then always good to kind of check with a guy who understands the value of these picks. And it was really, really interesting to see him put in perspective of what thirty one and thirty. 37 this year could have looked like in, in other years past, and it it uh, it was nice to hear I was right about that Alex Newhook trade as well. You were. It did seem like uh, that might I was right been... about a lot. I'm like, <laughs> taking a goalie stinks up top. He's like, uh, we've done it, and I agree. Uh, so, yeah, I was just, I was right about that a lot. Feeling very confident after that interview. There you go. Uh, as you should. Uh, let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, so Canada basketball has a new head coach. Uh, Sacramento Kings associate head coach Jordy Fernandez, who was a finalist, we believe, top three in the search for the next Raptors head coach, has accepted the role as coach of the Canadians men's national team, which means one Nick Nurse, the guy who gets it while the getting is good, is out, and Jordy Fernandez is now running this program. This was music to my ears Mm. because... I uh, I think Nick Nurse is a brand play guy. I think okay. this was more about, hey, can I just be the face of Canadian basketball yep. after bringing a championship to Toronto, and now I can be a part of this rising crop of talent when really I'm just kind of jumping on board at the right time? I think Nick Nurse was just there for, hey, let's build myself up, and that seems a little bit harsh, but I think there's a lot to that. I think it was part brand play, part, hey, another paycheck? Yeah, sure, give it to me. Uh, but... When we're thinking about the long-term viability, when we're talking about long-term success, when we're talking about actually doing something with the talent mm-hmm. at Canada's disposal right now, I want a hungry coach. I want a coach that wants the next job. I want Jordy Fernandez, who was a prospect and a coach, head coach in the NBA in waiting, and a guy who I think is going to give more than just surface-level stuff to this organization and frankly that's what it deserves i like the hire i do agree with most of what you're saying the only caveat and pushback i would have is that if everything goes according to plan here uh this is a guy who is hopefully getting his first nba head coaching gig right as the most important tournament for canada basketball is starting which they're not even in yet that the is Olympics. Fair. so that's the one area i say and again like that is a great problem to have because it means qualifying went great and you have a ton of buy-in. I think this is a really nice hire. He is a guy who has connections with Jamal Murray, which, let's be honest, him and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they are the backbones of this program. You know, for all we talked about Wiggins and, you know, R.J. Barrett is literally the chairman or president's kid, but... Let's be honest. This is all about Shea and Jamal and what they're able to do as a backcourt together. There's wonderful pieces around it. But if you have buy-in from those two guys specifically, and let's be honest, you get buy-in from one, you're going to get it from the other. Shea has will proved you? it. I do think so. Shea has proven I will show up for this Shea, team. Shea, I'm not worried and about. And Jamal Murray, he... Now, the thing with all these guys in the past is there's always been a reason, a valid one. The hope, I think, with Murray is that, one, this is a guy he knows really well. This is a coach who he has worked alongside. And the other part of it 
is that he's climbed the mountain. Now, not to say that that means Jamal Murray's like, oh, I'm going to take my foot off the gas. I don't need to care about this NBA season. It's a shorter summer for him. It's a tougher ass. But I think that he has a having him having accomplished that and not needing to silence the critics or prove people wrong or whatever way you look at it, that me, that to me just makes me believe you're going to have more of a buy-in from, from Murray there. And if you have it from those two, then it's a good hire. The, the, the thing that stood out the most about it to me was that they never fired Nick Nurse. I, I was wondering if I had missed it, and then I was seeing other informed basketball people saying, wait a minute, Appar- I thought Nick Nurse no, was still Apparently Nick Nurse was a bit of an advisor on this decision. Yes, I saw that as well, and this is why you're 100% right on what it was for him, right? It was a brand thing. It, the guy wears a Nick Nurse hat. It's not, not a brand thing with him. He clearly wanted to be the face of it, and I think that's why this needed to be seen as a mutual exit and not him you know leaving because of philly even though that is exactly what happened as as well here uh but i think that yeah that's why he wanted it to be seen as amicable as possible yeah uh it's yeah it's okay if he uh, advised i'm i'm fine with that uh but i want someone who's going to be all in and i'm more confident in jordy fernandez being all in than nick nurse and you mentioned murray i am confident i think the nba uh, title helps that i think hey what's the next thing that i want to accomplish yep i think it's pretty easy or at least it's easy to reconcile in my mind, not worried about at Shea, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, excuse me, whatsoever. I, I think this is a really, really positive thing for Canada basketball. We have a busy morning still to come here. We're going to start with our guests uh, on the other side. We're going to get two of the guys who run this tournament, the Joe Carter Classic. Of course, we're at the 14th First annual. already locked and loaded for yeah, I'll, I'll your let guy you, here. Yeah, I'll let you even have a follow-up, uh, Brent, <laughs> if you need it. Uh, Glen Abbey Golf Club, that's where we are at for the 14th annual Joe Carter Classic. We will catch up with some guests on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, we should probably circle back because we got about 10 minutes before the guests start piling in. I'm curious where you're going because i got something I, I have on my brain. Uh, so. I'll, I'll let you float it out there if you'd like. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't give our man Seth Rohrbaugh out of okay. Pittsburgh okay. his proper due. And everybody's probably wondering, well, Gunner, who is that guy? I've never heard of him. Correct, you haven't until <laughs> yesterday. He yeah. was the guy, was not Eric Francis, which I think would have been the funniest uh, answer of all. Uh, but no, he was the guy, uh, our man Seth Roba out of Pittsburgh, the lone first place voter for David Pasternak. What was the full ballot here, here from we go. Uh, old Seth? Okay, any guesses for second? Do you have a guess? Uh, I know there's a Sorokin on there. I don't think okay. it's second. No, uh, Sorokin's third. You got Jason Robertson second. No way. Sorokin third. Matthew Kachuk four. Connor McDavid five. Okay, so I didn't see. We were talking yesterday about there's got to be a content play here. There's got to be something. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be something that I need to click on in order to figure out why, right? I need, you've got to suck me in. You've got to profit off this somehow. I didn't see that. I didn't see it. What I did see was some guy who works for the league before it got out there saying, I spoke to the individual and they have their reasons. I won't say what those are, but they have them and we should respect them. And this just goes back to our whole thing from earlier in the, or yesterday of having to take and owning it and standing by it. We should respect them. 
Once he tells us what they are, I'd very much like to hear it. So, yeah, uh, you would think, like, uh, the Players' Tribune piece, uh, very fitting, <laughs> yes. coming out of Pittsburgh there, uh, is coming for him. But, yeah, have not uh, have not seen it yet. So, I just we spent a lot of time on this yesterday. I feel like we should circle back, case closed, uh, lock him up, throw away the key, or, or don't if you don't care. And, honestly, if not the content play, you do have to explain yourself. I mean, if someone's coming out and saying, he's got good reason, uh, let's hear the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's imperative uh, that we do so because right now – He's just taking shot after shot on Twitter, and I guess just justifiably so, because if you're going to vote in the manner that he did, it does de- deserve some sort of explanation. Uh, Gunner's pulling up his yeah, Twitter. Just in case there's an update since we last uh, scanned his Twitter feed. Uh, uh, I, no, I, I the, st- last thing, the last thing we have from him is uh, just letting another media member know he's playing shuffleboard. So do you think the that, last do you think that is a him. shuffleboard in Nashville? Because if it you're looks in- honky-tonkish. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it also looks like it could be in rural Pennsylvania That's at the true. same time. I, I, I feel like that shuffleboard could be anywhere. But, 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 but literally but, on Earth. If he's in Nashville right now, is he just wearing it? from everybody else because everybody in the hockey world associated with the hockey world reporting for any team writing for sites that are beyond paywalls if you are doing that you are in nashville right now and i wonder about the treatment he's receiving uh because yeah he definitely is standing out on that ballot i think if he's a notable um like and i'm not trying to you know rip the guy listen i'm not getting noticed in nashville walking down the street either right but if this were Freege or somebody who you know people see on tv all the time a more notable personality i do think Joe Blow in Nashville is like, oh, nice vote there, Sethy, if they knew who he was. But no one knows <laughs> who he is. So I think he, and I think, are, are some of his media buds giving it to him a bit if he's there? That's what I meant. For, I mean, I don't think he's sure. getting heckled on Broadway. I think I people know. on Broadway have other things that I would they're hope, doing. I hope they have way better things to, I, to I, do than that. But yeah, I'm imagine, sure yeah. it's, you know, it's like anything. We've all been on a team before, okay? You're chirping your bud. Like, does he make a bad pass? Yes, it's okay. Like, we can all laugh about it. I mean, make a better one next time, and that's probably exactly what's happening. So, yeah, I think he's hearing it a bit. How honky-tonk is that shuffleboard is a question that we need answered uh, <laughs> by the end of the show. I was going to bring up the Toronto Blue Jays because I think we should circle back. Mm. We kind of just glossed over the fact that Kevin Gosman was electric just a on bad, full Just a rest, bad day in general other than him. Or the extra day rest, rather. And it's like it is kind of the secret weapon which is kind of unfortunate or a lot unfortunate because uh, when you get Gosman on that extra day, and we're on a four-man rotation here for the <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays, so that extra day, well, it's not necessarily a thing, but squandering a start from Kevin Gosman where in which he is his six days rest yeah. stuff or has his six days rest stuff, it is just a little bit disappointing uh, to get to – have your offense fail to come through once again oh, and time. to, uh, yeah, not get a win in a brilliant start uh, for Kevin Gosman. Uh, we are getting our first guests of the day here. They are the co-chairs of the Joe Carter Classic. They come uh, bearing we're, gifts. We're just getting them mic'd up here. Uh, I think we're ready to go, but I will introduce them as we get set up here. And they did bring sweaters, which is fantastic. It's a great start. Thank you so much, guys. It's Pierre Frappier and James Dodd. Frappier is the president of AMG Campbell, and Dodds is the senior or a senior vice president at TD Bank. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, this has become the celebrity event of the summer. Like, I'm going through this this guest list, this T-sheet, and it's remarkable. I don't think there's anything Toronto-wide in the summer that gets as much attention as this golf tournament guest. So I, I guess my first question is, like, how how is this such a draw? How do you guys pull off such a big event with such an incredible list of celebrities taking part? 
I got two words for you, Joe Carter. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. It, it works out pretty well. So what makes him such a great guest then, or a host rather? I, I mean, to start with, th- thanks for having us on. Uh, I know you folks have been here for many years uh, spreading spreading the cause and the message, which we really uh, really appreciate. But look, Joe, Joe uses his connections and his contacts and his goodwill that he's built up over all these years to call in favors to get these athletes to come in, many of whom have never been to Canada or when they come to Canada is only uh, is only for his tournament. Yeah, I think that I think that's the thing that surprises a lot of people, myself included. You know, I know it's a big event. I know you guys get a ton of guests, but seeing the the names and you know when you see the hockey players, I think a lot of people expect that. But oh, Dan Marino and Roger Clemens and other of these you know really really uh, important names. And I you know I know obviously with any tournament like this, you're you're having a good day. Everybody's having fun, but there's obviously you know a really important charity aspect as well. Uh, I'll uh, I'll I'll put that to you, uh, Pierre. What's uh, what's the charity evolved here and just how important is it to be able to uh, to spread the good the goodwill and quite frankly the finances that you guys are able to because of this? Well, thank you. And um, charity components huge. Um, I'm board member of the Children's Aid Foundation and been involved with them for a while. And James came to us and they had this tournament going, doing very well. AMJ got connected um, and really took the Children's Aid Foundation to another level as the uh, beneficiary of this tournament. I mean, we. We cannot do enough for kids in this world, for sure. in our country, in our province. So the Children's Aid Foundation is extremely ecstatic about being involved. They're out there as volunteers. They're going to be on holes. Um, and we are so fortunate to be part of this great tournament. And, and, the, and the participants and the athletes, everyone gets involved and makes sure that they acknowledge the Children's Aid Foundation. So we're very fortunate. And Mr. Dodds is <laughs> the architect of bringing AMJ here. And by the way, I just want to say, Roger Clemens found out he was golfing with AMJ Campbell. He bailed. <laughs> I, I told somebody not to tell him. Okay, well, this this uh, I just I, I you know like a Boy Scout, I always want to be prepared. Should there be a spot, I just want you guys to know I got my sticks in the car. It is not that far of a walk for me. So if there is a spot out there, I'm happy to fill in. Not quite. The so start. you're gonna bail on the team? No, uh, I, I would gladly bail on these guys. This guy's more than capable Listen, of talking. I, to I, I will take it the rest of the way if you get that. He will. He will gladly. I will do that. that for so you yeah, later. don't uh, you know? Don't don't make promises uh, that you're not prepared to keep because I'd love to get out there. But uh, in terms of this, you know, it, it comes to Glen Abbey, uh, obviously a really important place in in Canadian sport in and of itself. Can you just talk about kind of what hosts they've been? Obviously, uh, the 14th year that, that you guys have been doing it, and you know, just looking around the facilities here, it seems like it's a kind of the perfect venue for it. Yeah, I mean, look, Glen Abbey has been a phenomenal host for us for many years, and especially for the slabs that come in as well, this is a real treat to play. They all know that Tiger hit that yep. shot you know, out of the bunker. They all want to <laughs> hit it themselves. I've tried right? it. <laughs> and, and, and for all our local guests and sponsors, playing the Abbey is always a treat, right? And so it was, like, it was a no-brainer to have it here. They've been nothing short of phenomenal kind of hosting us. I think this is one of the few tournaments they do here, yep. so we're, we're super happy and super proud about that. So special event, special cause. Also the 30th anniversary of Joe Carter hitting his home run uh, and hitting, you know, winning the World Series for the Toronto Blue Jays for the second time and doing so in the grandest fashion uh, imaginable. How is that being commemorated this year? It's the 14th time that uh, this golf tournament has been played, but it's the 30th anniversary. So how is that being commemorated? Yeah, so two, so two things we're doing. I'm sure I'm sure the Jays are doing other things as well, but we, we brought you these really nice hoodies that have got Tom Cheek's uh, quote right on the back of it that we're, we're giving out to all the uh, the participants. And then secondly, uh, the Jays did a bobblehead for Joe. 
and we're uh, we're giving those out again today. So we're, we're we're super excited. You asked Joe. Joe said he never gets tired about uh, talking about that home run. He's he's been milking. We can that attest to that. For, yeah, for for thirty years, yeah. and I'm sure he's going to milk it for thirty more. And he and he should. Uh, <laughs> I've done I've done way less, and we'll try to milk it for way longer. So yeah, I would never I would never knock him for but, for for doing that. Sorry, but, go ahead. But, but this time we've we've also got we've got our man Jose Batista back. So yep. first time he's been back in mm-hmm. I think five six yeah, years. Yeah, wow. So. You should ask him which, which which was bigger, his home run or Joe's. <laughs> so we had him. We actually had Jose on right at the beginning of the season. We had, we connected with him uh, over the phone. So it'll be nice to see him in person here today. He's actually going to jump on with us, and yeah, maybe we'll get him to uh, compare and contrast uh, for uh, for all the English majors out there. Uh, we'll we'll see how it is. You know, just again, it it, uh, it goes to the star power that Joe has, and you know, can you just kind of talk about what it, who he is as a as a person? You know, I think he has become this mythical figure for Canadians. I mean, you know, myself, I was around in 92 but I wasn't around for all that long in 92 and there are people who were not born who still think of it as this kind of holy sports moment but Joe's so much more than than one moment uh, you know obviously you two guys have got to know him well and work with him uh, as as chairs of the event here uh, we'll, we'll start with you I guess Pierre uh, just well, what is Joe as a person and what does he bring to the event in and of itself well I got to meet Joe four or five years ago when we got involved and the thing I'm going to say about Joe is after this day's over everyone who's here will have shook his hand and said hi to him either by going up to meet him or him meeting them that's amazing and everyone's going to remember their moment with Joe picture with Joe and he's so engaged he's into it you know it's just you can tell and I think that's just fascinating for an, an individual lives in Kansas City but Toronto's a second home and you can tell it's sincere we appreciate it and again I Today I got my Joe Carter. You can't see. Well, you can, <laughs> Joe Carter rookie card signed. Oh, look at that! Wow. That is that beautiful. is serious stuff. So uh, thanks to my good friend Mr. Dodd, um, just keeps be- getting better every year. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, visual media here, but it is a, uh, it's a Chicago <laughs> that Cubs is rookie card. Nice that is. Uh, I'm thinking you should get like there. a safety deposit box. <laughs> yeah. Put well, that that would have been a good trivia. As quick as Who possible. drafted Joe Carter? Right? Would have. Yeah, yeah. I should have saved it. Uh, nobody listened there. Uh, go ahead, James. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, just to, to Pierre's point, point um, in the box. Box last night, yeah, Joe, I was there. Jo- was yeah, Joe was standing there, and there must have been a lineup of fifty people <laughs> lining for pictures, yep. selfies, autographs, more autographs, more pictures. And he stood there and he talked to every one of them with a big smile. And that is who Joe Carter is. And I, I've had the privilege of knowing him for for, for many years. And I always say. He's as big an all-star off the field as he was on the field when he played. And yeah, I, I think that's a good way to describe him. So, so I was in the box last night. And it's funny, you know, we when we're getting the guest list here, we're looking at it, and like we started out talking to you guys, we're going, "How do they get all these names here?" I mean, <laughs> Emmett Smith and uh, J- like the 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 list goes on and on. And I got just a little glimpse of it being in the uh, in the suite last night. And yeah, you can easily see uh, why why everybody loves being a part of it. I saw the line for Joe, and yeah, you you know, it's it's got to be so you know, warming to get that everywhere you go. But conversely, I imagine there's a lot of people who tire of it as their life goes on. And uh, to hear that that hasn't been the case uh, for, for Joe, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously uh, so exciting, you know, just, uh, just, just looking at who did you, who did you meet last night? Did you get a chance to so chat with I, them? So being in this business, we get to meet a fair amount of people, and I decided to uh, just kind of hang back and enjoy the ball game. I, you know, we, we get to meet a lot of people in this, so I, I know there are a lot of people who were there last night who that is not part of their every day, uh, so I kind of hung back. Uh, I did see Damon Allen walk around with an awesome pair of, like, he was showing off these, like, they looked like leather or crocodile shoes to everybody. That looked great. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to meet him, but that was my celebrity kind of highlight of the night. Looney Dog night, yeah. so Gunner was a little... <laughs> no, 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 not Looney Dog night. 
right. I, my producer, my man right here, Daniele, can attest. I got a seat in the front row and only got up for food and beverage. So I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the sweep, but uh, I was locked in on on the ball game. Uh, you know, just just again looking at the list here, uh, we'll we'll run down some of the names. Uh, you mentioned Batista there, but you know other Jays legends: Cito Gaston, Sean Green, Dave Stewart, and then Barry Larkin, Kenny Lofton, uh, Dion Phaneuf, Emmett Smith, Jaina Heffert, Doug Gilmore. The list goes on and on. I could continue to list forever. It is I. I, you know, I don't really have a question to end things here. It's just I commend you guys for the exceptional work you've done. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of charity tournaments that will have one or two big celebrity names. But to your point, I, I really don't know that there's anything in the city or the province that draws them quite well, the way. Well, is. I will say, I think it's worth asking because we're at the buzzer here. I mean, check-ins happening. There's a lot of a movement here at Glen Abbey, but uh, it's for a great cause. And I imagine people can get involved still maybe at the buzzer if they so choose. Is there any way that our listeners can help support this tournament, uh, even though we are uh, very, very close to tee-off here? Absolutely. I mean, Children's Aid Foundation, go on their site, um, go on the Joe Carter website. You want to make a donation, all the money goes to Children's Aid Foundation, all of it. And we're talking serious six-digit. Mm-hmm. And um, this is probably their largest private uh, contribution throughout the year for the foundation. And, um, you know, I just want to talk quickly with the foundation and kids. Yeah, As we come out of COVID, we come out of different times. You know, young kids out there are having challenges, not just in Ontario, but across Canada. We've got some different challenges with our, with our young kids, so they are needed more than ever. So every nickel, every dime helps, and uh, this is a great kick off to their campaign for 2023. Yeah, hey, you don't uh, you don't have to sell me on that. I got a I got a, my my little guy was born right in the throes of COVID. So he is a uh, he's a COVID baby learning the world uh, <laughs> through the throes of it. So I know what that's been like and honestly, you know, just uh, off the back of that, I know we it can feel sometimes for some people like we're still living in it, some people it's removed, but just to be able to get back to these in-person events like this, you know, I I I I know that the, there's a hiatus for a while there given everything that's happened and I do still feel like when you get at an event like this there's still just a kind of rush of energy and your people are excited to just be doing things and i can see again i'm uh, i'm looking over my shoulder looking this at everybody full coming out this in. year there yeah. is no restrictions and again i just wouldn't be remiss if i didn't acknowledge james dodd and <laughs> raul these two guys are the architect of this and they've done an amazing job you know years of making calls and getting people to come that's uh can't say enough about what they do. <laughs> yeah, James, uh, it's, uh, it's quite the honor, and uh, you, uh, you, you two definitely deserve it. I know it's going to be a great day here today. Uh, I know I'm going to be jealous uh, talking, talking to you for the next couple hours here. Uh, everybody who's out there teeing it up. Uh, the pitch I, didn't quite I, work. I know. I Look, you think I'm going to shoot my shot only <laughs> once here? Uh, honestly, I just I continue to commend you guys. Children's Aid, uh, there's a lot of great charities you could do it for. Uh, you know, I worked with kids all throughout my teen years growing up, so that is, uh, that's very near and dear to my heart as well. So I'm I'm happy to hear that. Uh, cannot commend you guys uh, enough. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for stopping by. We we definitely appreciate the gifts. And I'm, I more, did, more than that, you know, no, inviting us here and, and giving us a chance but, to uh, parting gifts, gentlemen. Please, but, James. But it, I mean, it should be us thanking you. I mean, think about all your listeners that are that are hearing about this. They're hearing about all the great work Children's Aid does. This is this should be us thanking you. So thank you for coming. And look, uh, maybe we can sneak you out on the golf course. Okay, so maybe. Yeah. Uh, oh, hold on. Go to the go to the director first. He's, he, he's got to give the thumbs up. It wasn't it. Wasn't a no, which is really 
really all I was that's after. Nice. Uh, guys, I was looking at I was looking at those sweaters last night. They look beautiful. Thrilled to get my hands on, on one of them today. Uh, cannot uh, cannot thank you enough. And again, yeah, it's a it's a little bit like the uh, like the sucker fish on a shark in the ocean. We're helping each other out. Uh, you're the shark. Don't worry. We know where we're at in that relationship <laughs> here. Uh, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed uh, having you guys on. And again, I know it's going to be a great day. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see you around before we uh, get out of here today. But just uh, again, commend you guys on on everything that's been done uh, here. And James, uh, anything else from yeah, you? No, thanks again for having us. Uh, that's awesome. Thank uh, you, gentlemen. Appreciate yep. it, guys. Enjoy uh, the day. Yeah, it'll be great. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, it's Pierre Fiapier and James Dodds, the co-chairs of the Joe Carter Classic. We are in the 14th edition of Joe Carter's Classic Golf Tournament uh, live from Glen Abbey Golf Club. And, yeah, commemorating the 30th anniversary of Joe Carter's World Series winning home run. Uh, that was fun, guys. Thanks again. Uh, enjoy the day. Honestly, one of the one of the more, like, we know it as this famous Canadian moment and, of course, the most famous Blue Jays moment. But, honestly, just in Major League history, the way it happened, there's only been a handful of those. It was the shot heard around the world, and it was Joe Carter, and there may be one other that I'm missing there. These things just do not happen. Walk off at home to win the World Series. The fact that Tom Cheek slammed it home with the awesome call, every part of it. I'm getting goosebumps a little bit just sitting here thinking about it. Uh, it really does kind of, you know, again, something so close to you, you can forget at times how special and how legendary it is. And yeah, the uh, the 30th anniversary of Touch Em All Joe, uh, certainly certainly feeling extra special today. Yeah, b- for sure. both you and I were around for that home run, uh, but maybe not all that yeah, conscious exactly. for it. Uh, so we, you know, we live through the stories of others and we're going to go through some of those stories today uh, with our guest list. And maybe you're right, we can compare and contrast with Jose Bautista because he will be around the table uh, later on this morning as well. But, yeah, I think that's one of the, sort of the general themes I want to touch on a little bit is that, yeah, that was such a special moment, how different it was viewed. The athlete network here is a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because Joe Carter, a lot of the people were talking, Doug Gilmore, who was in 1993 yep. doing special things for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, you know, times have changed, obviously, and maybe it wasn't easier or harder being an athlete then, but maybe growing that network yeah. and just being more of a normal person totally. was a little bit easier. Not to say that Joe Carter, Doug Gilmore, normal people whatsoever, but maybe I just, well, you know, I want to pick their brain a little bit on how different it was. And that was clearly a viral, incredible moment in the Jose Bautista beyond probably Jose Bautista in terms of consequence. Uh, but it is viewed differently, or it was captured differently, it was experienced differently, and I do want to unpack that a little bit. It's funny, you talk about the kind of unity between the the Leafs and the Jays there, especially Gilmore, Carter, obviously, both of them here today, but, you know, I remember the... I'm trying to think. It was like the Colby Armstrong era Leafs. It felt like with the team unit stuff. Do you remember this? When it was oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. So, you know, there is always the kind of simpatico hockey players and baseball players. There is just a big time mutual respect there. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to yeah, dive Listen, into. Grady Dick was hanging out at the Blue Jays. That's game. right. Like he, there, he there, are the, uh, there are the, the – there is overlap. Well, it's just but game, it is different. Game recognized game, right? It like is There's different. just a certain respect that those guys uh, have. And, you know, it's like obviously it's completely different but it's like, you know, we see the CH5 people cruising around the building. And, yeah, it's like we do the same job. You just have that uh, that that certain kind of respect or you, you know, kinship with them, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to see uh, how long that's lasted for, for Carter and the guys he was friends with. And uh, great to see how many people are going to be here today. Uh, the breakfast area is not flooded yet, but we expect to be uh, sort of overrun by celebrities in mere moments here. Uh, what, let's get to a break because we've got 
uh, a busy 8 a.m. hour. Uh, we do not have Roger Clemens to start things off anymore, but we're going to find someone uh, to fill in for him. And, of course, we'll get Doug Gilmore I'm, at 8.15. I'm going to go bug the tournament director. Well. That's and, what I'm going to do. Brent Gunning is going to try to book his, his tea time. So uh, we'll see if it's me and Gunner after the break, but I will be here for sure <laughs> as celebrities continue to pour through here at Glen Abbey at the 14th annual Joe Carter Classic Golf Tournament. We will be back in mere moments.